2: Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling.
3: Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk here on the Federal News Network. I am Tony Vernetti from Feds Protection, and today is Friday, April 3rd, 2020. It's actually not, it's Thursday, April 2nd, because we are pre recording this show from our shelter in place locations in light of the global health crisis we are in the middle of with the COVID 19 outbreak. Uh, So first, let me say that our thoughts and prayers go out to anyone who is inflicted with this virus. And our hats are off to all of our first responders and medical professionals that are on the front lines of this pandemic, often at a great risk to their own physical um, and personal well-being. So given that the world is seeing just how critical public service is in one form or another right now, Uh, The topic for today's show could not be more relevant, could not be more on point, um, because it really puts a spotlight on the importance of, of public service. And so what I'm talking about is we'll be discussing the report that was released just last week by the National Commission on Military, National, and Public Service. And the commission was created a few years ago to review the military selective service process and to consider methods to increase participation in military, national and public service. So I'm joined today by two of the commissioners to discuss the report. So first, let me introduce Deborah Wada. Debra is the vice chair uh, for military service on the commission. Good morning, Deborah. thanks for being here. Good morning, Tony, thanks for
0: having us.
3: Deborah formerly was the, under the Obama administration, was the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. We also have with us us Commissioner Tom Kilgannon. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Tony, it's
2: great to be on the program. Thanks for having us.
3: Tom is also currently the president of Freedom Alliance, a charitable organization that honors and supports America's armed forces and advocates for a strong national defense. So, Tom let me let me kick it off with you. Let's start with having you just sort of introduce the commission the commission to our listeners um, the when, the how and why it was formed. you know we were kind of joking a little bit before we went on air um, you know that <laughs> I like think I know a few things in this space and and when they told me about this show it was like what what commission are you talking about? Um, so tell us a little bit about it.
2: Sure, I'm, ha- I'm happy to do that, and thanks for having us on the program, Tony. Uh, the National Commission on Military, National, and Public Service is a, uh, is a congressionally appointed uh, commission. It was formed by the National Defense Authorization Act of 2017, and uh, we were put together to uh, basically do two things. One is to review the Selective Service System, which is the registration system uh, currently for young men uh, in order to register for a potential military draft and uh, and to take a look at that system, uh, ask tough questions about how it works, is it needed, should it be changed, should it be updated uh, for new threats uh, that could be facing America in the years ahead. And secondly, the commission was, was charged with a broader mandate of how to create a stronger ethos of service in America, how to inspire more Americans, especially young Americans, uh, to roll up their sleeves, serve their country, and serve their communities. And as you alluded to, Tony, in your opening, uh, there could not be a more important time for this commission to have taken place and for us to have uh, released our final report because uh, we see it on our TV screens every day, the importance of public service, our doctors, our nurses, our first responders, our elected officials uh, in dealing with a a real threat to America. And so our report uh, lays out a number of ways that we can get more Americans involved in service and, uh, and make it more effective for times just like this.
3: So when people, and, and I'm glad you talked about what's what's going on um, on our TV screens and all that. So when people think of service, for example, um, the the most natural place they go is sort of military service. Um, but what what we're talking about in this report is is far, you know, broader than that. I wonder if you can elaborate on that a little bit.
2: That's right. Uh, I think you're right, Tony. A lot of people, um, when they hear the word service, they think military service, Army, uh, Air Force, Marine Corps, Navy. And, uh, and what we were asked to do is to look not just at military service, but how uh, we can get people involved in other types of service, public service, which is uh, elected office, uh, serving in federal, state, or tribal governments, uh, but also national service which is um, uh, a, an extension of uh, volunteerism, if you will. Uh, we know people understand what volunteerism is, they do it at their churches, they do it in their communities all the time, but national service is a, is a longer, more dedicated um, uh, giving of their time to a, uh, for six months, uh, upwards of 24 months, Uh, to a a federal agency like uh, CNCS, which is the Corporation for National and Community Service, uh, and and runs a number of programs to include the Peace Corps, AmeriCorps, Senior Corps. uh, And those are the different types of service that we looked at. And and we tried not to look at each one in a silo, um, but to understand the strengths and benefits of each And then how can we more fully integrate them and have them work together for the benefit of all?
3: Mm -hmm. I was I was in the Air Force and my friends in the Marines and the Army and Navy would tell me I wasn't in the service.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So we know that's not true.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Let me let me ask um, a little bit just about sort of quickly the, the method by which the Commission went to gather its, its information. I know there were public hearings, but I also know you got you know you got out there, you got on the road and you, you went to various places and met with people.
2: That's right. We began our work in 2017 and we've been at it for two and a half years. Uh, Deborah Wada who's on uh, the show with us today, she and I are two of eleven commissioners. We were each appointed by congressional leaders. Uh, or President Obama, and uh, we immediately went to work. We traveled from coast to coast. We met with experts. We had 14 public hearings. We gathered thousands of public comments. Uh, We met with faith groups, people who are in service. We met with military, both enlisted and officers. We went to a wide variety of organizations, experts, and public servants so that we could, first of all, listen and learn from the American people. What is it that inspires them to service? What kind of benefits do they get from it? And what kinds of needs are they serving in their communities and for the country? And so uh, we gathered all this information. In January of last year, January of 2019, we issued our interim report. Uh, Interestingly enough, that was at a time when we were uh, in one of the longest government shutdowns we've ever had and public servants uh, were uh, not going to work at that time. And, uh, and now we have issued our final report at a time when we see, uh, as we talked about earlier, the tremendous need for talented public servants. Uh, so we, we gathered all the information we could find and then we synthesized it in a final report uh, that was issued last week. It is now in the hands of the Congress and the President. And they're going to take these 164 recommendations that we've put in the final report um, that address military, national and public service. And uh, and hopefully they will uh, enact legislation to um, to introduce and, and to put uh, into place uh, the best, uh, if not all of uh, these recommendations.
3: So let me ask I know you. Um in the sort of preamble um, to the report, um, as I was reading, getting ready for the show, um, it, there are these sort of four areas um, that you know are talked about as far as detailed proposals um, that are necessary to, I guess, commit to um, to have this sort of recognize and elevate this concept of service, and and specifically, I'm talking about just revitalizing the civic education, expand service learning, coordinating with the government wide service efforts through dedicated service council in the White House, promoting cross marketing and recruitment, and just sort of creating a platform to help Americans discover service opportunities. I read those things and together they speak to me that it's really all about sort of education, putting a spotlight on on you know a why why service is good for our country, good for our society and and why it's it's good for you potentially as an individual.
2: It is uh, Tony, it is about education. It's also about awareness and access uh, for those who want to serve. And so you mentioned civics I think that's that's where we'd like to begin that's really where the our final report begins is with the issue of civics education. Uh, as Deborah and I and our fellow commissioners went around the country, uh, the one thing that recurred over and over and over again was the need for strong civics education to reintroduce it back into the classroom. It has been an area of education for uh, young Americans and, and uh, high school students that has uh, really lagged in, in recent years. Uh, We've put a lot of money into STEM education, $3 billion of federal spending goes to STEM education, but civics education lags. In fact, if you compare the two by way of uh, federal spending standard, uh, STEM education is getting over $3 billion, Uh, that's a billion with a B, Tony, and uh, civics education is getting $5 million. So there is a tremendous discrepancy in uh, the amount of importance we give uh, to STEM versus civics education by way of federal dollars. But uh, whether we talk to coaches, parents, teachers, students, no matter who it was, they all have a craving for uh, civics education. And there's a reason for that, because it is the beginning. It's the introduction of who we are as Americans what our rights but more importantly what our responsibilities are as americans it helps us to understand how our government works the importance of government and if you look at what's going on today as we talked about with this uh, global pandemic here in america a strong civics education is going to help us understand that delicate balance between the power of government in a situation like this and civil liberties when you've got governors uh, shutting down states and closing businesses and, and churches, closing down. It's important that all of us as Americans, especially young Americans, understand uh, the difference between uh, those two. And so it all begins with uh, civics education.
3: You're listening to Fed Talk on the Federal News Network. I am here with Deborah Wada, the Vice Chair and Commissioner Tom Kilgannon from the National Commission on Military, National, and Public Service. We'll continue our discussion after this break and a word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Fed Talk on the Federal News Network. I'm Tony Vernetti from Feds, and I'm here with Deborah Wada, the Vice Chair and Commissioner Tom Kilgannon from the National Commission on Military, National, and Public Service. And we were talking about the commission's recently released report and how to increase participation in military, national, and public service. Uh, before our break, um, Deborah, I want to bring you um, onto the show um, as, our, as our military expert. <laughs> um, <laughs> before our break, we were talking a lot about, um, we were sort of setting the stage, um, what the commission um, was looking at, obviously the Selective service process, um, and then specifically um, the three areas, um, the military, national, and public service. So I'd like to start with military service. Um, you know what? What has the, the 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 commission found on sort of what's lacking there and what's sort of needed to to elevate that where you where you guys would like to see it?
0: Thanks, Tony. Thanks for the question. Um, I think the, when the commission went around the country, we learned a lot about uh, the the lack of information or awareness that uh, most Americans have of military. And uh, when the commission took a look at sort of all communities of alliance of service, we looked at whether, you know, awareness, aspiration, and access. And on the awareness side, um, a significant number of young Americans across this country have um, what I would say a... uh, not well-informed perception of military service. And so the issue is how do we get that information to young Americans across the country of what military service is? So for example, we had um, a lot of young Americans believe that to serve in the military is to pick up a gun and fight on the front lines because that's what we see in movies, that's what we hear, um, we see on, on commercials. But the fact remains that the military has every sort of profession that you can imagine in the military, right? So from doctors and lawyers and engineers to uh, tech professionals to even band members, Everybody uh, that is seeking a, a career in in a profession may be able to serve in the military as well and in uniform And so that awareness um, Is important and we need to do a better job to get that out to the young American people um, The other thing is aspiration only 41% of youth today have ever considered military service and so increasing that uh, Aspiration to serve is also important from the commission's point of view. So we have a number of recommendations that, that do that. Um, but the bottom line for military service is we have to do better in terms of outreach to our communities and, so, and, and influencers as well. Because the, um, after 9-11, a lot of our uh, bases, active duty bases were shut down. And so, even in communities like Jacksonville, where we went down to, which has a big military presence with the Navy down there, uh, we learned that there's not a full understanding of what is the what does the, what does a sailor do? You know, besides getting on a ship, what is life like on a ship? Those sorts of things that could help make um, military service better informed for young individuals. To, to decide that military is a career, is important for us to be able to break down those barriers and actually increase the number of people who want to serve in the military.
3: You know, it's funny, you know, I, as we talked earlier in the show, I was, you know, in the military. Um, I joined in 1985, the, the Cold War. My, my 16-year-old likes to tell me we threw words around um, <laughs> during, during that period. Um, but she was writing a report for school and something about, and she it was some story I had told from the military and she was asking me questions and it was dawned to me, oh my God, she's never seen a military base, you know, cause the questions that I'm like, get in the car. And we drove, we lived close to, um, a Carderock Naval facility and I was showing her th- you know, things and, um, how it works. So there is sort of a lack of that you know, that education, that, that awareness out there. Um, cause you're right after 9 11, everything got, got shut down. Um, did you, That's find-
0: not unusual. um, I would say that the number of, so when we look at enlistments in the military, most of enlistments come from just five States. And so if we want our military to look uh, be i rep- I'm sorry to be representative of the uh, United States, then we need to do a better job, especially in certain demographic, um, geographic areas.
3: What are the, do you know those offhand of five states? Now I'm just curious.
0: Um, I believe it was California, Texas, um, Florida, New York, and North Carolina.
3: Okay, Um, and you know, in the last sort of, you know, particularly since since nine eleven, right? We've been in, we've been in a lot of conflict, you know, overseas. Did you, in in going around the country and asking questions, did you also find resistance from parents, you know, unwilling to educate their children on the military or even allow that to be an option um, for them?
0: I would say that we found uh, that a lot of parents were uh, discouraged to serve military service, and not necessarily uh, the majority was because of the ongoing conflict that was going on, that is still going on today. It was more of they would be distracted from going on to college. So in their mind college was the uh, most important next step for a young person graduating out of high school and military service was a distraction or would not help them get to where they need to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it depends, um, again, so understanding that you can pursue your career in the military, right? Um, I had, um, We sat down with some young students uh, during the course of our review, and I asked them, would any of you be interested in serving in the military? And most of them had said no, they never considered it. And the response I got was my parents would never allow me to do that. Uh, And so when I asked why, they were like, well, I want to go on to be a finance person. I want to work, you know, in finance. And I was like, well, you know, the military actually has finance officers. You could actually become a finance officer and actually get responsibility for millions of dollars at a young age that you would never get in the private sector. Um, and you, would, you could take that experience then and use it in the private sector. But so that education and information is not quite there, particularly with our, uh, not with our youth, but also just with not with our influencers as well.
3: I really think it is about, you know, the awareness and the education and explaining to people and, you know, real world examples of people talking about, you know, their experience. We, we before we got on the show, I was talking to you about my decision um, to go in the military because at, at that point in my life, you know, I jokingly said it was a military uniform or McDonald's one. Um, you know, and, and I went in and it was the most important decision of my life. Um, the military was so good, um, about giving you positive reinforcement, um, in how I was, you know, able to learn. I really, for the first time in my life felt I was a part of something, you know, that was, that was bigger than me. Um, I always jokingly say, I looked around and says all these people, are in charge of me. And I probably have some adjectives in front of there simply because they have a college degree. So how hard can that be? So, you know, and I also got the GI bill and got money to go to college, you know, Mm -hmm. so there were so many, you know, positives to, to my military experience. And I don't talk about that to talk about me. I talk about that to my employees and people like that. um, Because I think that's necessary for, for people to hear, um, good stories like that about about public service. I mean, everything I sort of am today, um, the foundation, you know, was, was built upon, you know, my military experience when I was 18 through 21 years old.
0: And, and we've we heard that a lot when we went across the country. Um, what I would say, though, the number of people who have actually served is continuing to decline. And so what we find is that the military service has become a family business, right? A number of
3: those
0: right. currently serving are because they had a close family member who served. And so we need to break that and uh, make a paradigm shift um, because we do believe that military service, like other lines of service, are important. And gives individuals uh, a lot of soft skills, particularly that private sector employers are looking for. Um, but it also helps uh, obviously in the defense of our country. And so when we look at whether, how we want quality people to serve in the military, I mean, I tell my uh, friends that three out of 10 young adults today cannot, will qualify for the military. That means seven of the uh, 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 10 don't, don't qualify to serve. So that's a significant challenge when you talk about even though we're, we're recruiting, you know, numbers are not that large, we're still talking about a small percentage of young Americans that actually qualify to serve right now. Um, and so it makes it difficult.
3: And and is that because and I, was, I was, when I read the report, I was kind of blown away by that um, because is it? Because sort of medical standards, mental health standards, you know, is it because of those reasons?
0: So, yes, Um, uh, it's normally um, physical and mental health and also um, academic achievement. So there's a score on the armed forces um, qualification.
3: Right, right. Um, I always joke and say I had to take the ASVAD twice to get in. I wanted it so bad. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you about that because I because I, I thought I read in a report that they wanted you're looking at maybe introducing the the ASVAD, um, test to have it yeah. you know more administered in school, not just for people that are thinking about the military.
0: Correct, because uh, the ASVAB has what they call the Career Exploration Program that is part of the ASVAB test, and it helps a young person sort of develop that understanding of what their interests and skills may be to help them further define what they want to do later in life. Um, And we believe that taking the ASVAB, especially the CEP portion of that, is important to help young Americans across this country, to give them a better understanding of sort of what they would think they would like to do versus what their interests really are, and then help them find their next path forward.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, right. right. And I, I mean, I really believe in reading a report that I, you know, I think getting them at the, you know, at the, the, the school age, I mean, kids when they're most impressionable, because you're right. You know, I went in a military in part, and I went in the Air Force, and my uncle was in, and he always talked to me about it. So I, I, I learned a little bit about that. Um, and if think we find ways of, I guess, partnerships and getting you know, more people in local schools you know, to talk about that. I mean, that's going to gonna go a long way, um, as well as kind of like the, the ROT, junior ROTC programs and things like that.
0: Right, the reason why we um, propose an increase in the JROTC is because as I had mentioned before, there's a a lack of understanding of just basic military information out there. Understanding that JROTC is a citizenship program, it does provide an exposure to the different military services, what the military is about, why we have a military in our country. Um, And so we believe that um, starting uh, individuals at a younger age, especially in the JROTC program will help provide a sort of break down that military civilian divide that we're seeing currently in this country.
3: So I mean, do you feel that sort of, and I'm, and I'm shifting here and talking more about kind of like investing in advertising and things like that, um, that the, the messaging needs to be, be developed and changed at the sort of the quote brand of the military um, you know, is that something that needs to be reinvented to to get to speak to younger people these days?
0: That's our um, one of our recommendations, because we think that, uh, well, sort of the marketing and the um, advertising recommendations are a little bit more in the weeds. Right. Um, but the overall sort of recommendation that we are trying to get out to the American public is that the military that you remember from 50 or 60 years ago is not the military of today. And the issues, um, sort of the opportunities and the abilities, uh, skill sets that you learn in the military is vast. And it should be at least an option for consideration. It doesn't mean that you have to choose it, but you should... We should make sure that everyone that is making a determination of what they wanna do as they grow up has the inf- correct information of what military service is and what it can provide them.
3: You're on Fed Talk, and we are discussing the recently released report from the National Commission on Military, National and Public Service with Deborah Wada, the Vice Chair and Commissioner Tom And We'll continue our discussion after this break and a word from our sponsor.
1: TC FEDS dot com. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. S B and client focused, results driven.
3: Welcome back to Fed Talk on the Federal News Network. I'm Tony Vernetti from Feds Protection. And I'm here with Deborah Wada and Tom Kilgannon, both commissioners from the National Commission on Military, National, and Public Service. Before we uh, took the break, um, Deborah, we were talking about. Um, Military service and and the recommendations, um, and before I before I close that off and switch to public service, which we sort of know as, as federal service, I wanted to sort of ask you about, I guess, the existing challenges. Um, we were talking a little bit on the break about both sides of that and sort of how recruiters are having difficulty. Um, getting into the schools, and there's a lot of resistance to allow them in. I wonder if you can elaborate a little bit on that.
0: Sure. Um, So what we found is that a number of school districts, uh, we heard from recruiters, they're still having difficulties getting into school districts. And so although we like the recommendation to increase ASVAB, CEP in school districts, schools across this country is one of the recommendations. It was to also um, create an opportunity for not just the military uh, and the Department of Defense to get its message out about military service and what it um, benefits it provides, but also from the other side of from the school districts, from parents, from um, influencers, coaches, a better understanding of what the um, sort of opportunities are in the military and understanding that, you know, taking the ASVAB does not necessarily mean that you're going to automatically join the military. <laughs> but it provide you an opportunity to better learn about yourself and your skills and your abilities.
3: I, I think that's a fabulous idea because, like, how many kids do I talk to that start college? What are you studying? I don't know. You know, it's general studies. What do you want to do? I'm told I'm going to college. Or I'm going to college. That if you take the tests and you might, you know, have a particular skill set to go be an air traffic controller. You know, and we've got, you know, plenty of those. You know, those in the military, um, or like I was, you know, security police. And there's, like you said, there is every job imaginable. You know, the, you know, financial jobs, firefighters, you know, law enforcement officers. Um, You know, so that, you know, I think that's a great idea. You can take, you know, this test and would sort of have them visualize, you know, kind of maybe what they would be doing in the military, not just given a rifle and saying, you know, go there.
0: Right. I think it gives kids a better opportunity to learn about themselves and then maybe even learn things about themselves that they didn't really um, know right? So kids, uh, we have, I have heard uh, Anadoli about young people taking the test and thinking that they wanted to do, I don't know, um, they wanted to be an engineer and then actually taking the test and saying, you know what, I actually have a more personal, I, w- I want to engage with people more. And so maybe something in the healthcare field or something else. And I never thought about that. Um, and so I think that, you know, it opens up a young person's eyes to what opportunities they may might be thinking narrowly, but it opens it up and, and be much more um, wider in terms of what they might be wanting to do.
3: Right. And, you know, and before I leave the military services, the, the, you know, the, the sort of the not only the life skills, but the, the training in a particular, you know, field that you may be in um, really does and can translate do real jobs um in in the private sector when you're when your military service is
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, is done and you're not nobody's suggesting that you know we're saying come in and give it 20 years necessarily not but at that,
0: all and um, and as you know most people don't give 20 years right? um, and actually one of the recommendations in our commission's report is that the military consider providing that training earlier. So if a person wants to become, say, a commercial uh, trucker, which as we see today is very important, um, the military would consider paying for that training and then with the expectation that you do a term of service in the military, and then you could take that uh, CDL with you when you leave as well.
3: Sure. All right. Let's shift gears and let's um, let's talk about what 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 the commission found about public service. You know, that's obviously um, an area that's near and dear to what I do every day. Um, also, being a former federal employee myself, um, so tell us what the commission found out and how they're going to fix the federal government. <laughs>
0: So when we talk about public service, um, we're talking about both federal, state, local, and tribal um, governments. But obviously the commission focused uh, a number of our recommendations at the federal level because we are a federal commission. One of the things that we found was we have to fix the hiring process. Wherever we went, when we sat down with uh, young, particularly young Americans, Trying to um, get into the federal civil service has been a challenge. Um, and so, as anybody who's gone on USA Jobs knows, um, it's probably not the most user friendly and not the most intuitive. Um, and so, we make a number of recommendations on how we can fix the hiring process, particularly so that we are um, engaging with young Americans. Currently, only 6% of those under 30 are serving in the federal government. And as you know, we are ha- facing a, um, a retirement uh, tide that is coming. Um, and so we need to do more to get younger people into the federal government to be able to make sure that we can carry out the duties of what the government is responsible for. I, I think I liken it to... We have Dr. Fauci that everybody has now been um, following for the last several weeks, and he served over six presidents. At some point, Dr. Fauci is going to retire, and we need to make sure that we have qualified young Americans coming up behind him so that in 40 years there's a replacement for Dr. Fauci.
3: the next Dr. Fauci? (laughs)
0: Right. That that is, you know, that is because Dr. Fauci is not, you know, can't stay with us uh, forever. So we, But we need to make sure that if and when this uh, we are facing another, another crisis, we have qualified people who are following in his uh, steps and those like him to be right. able to do right.
3: But given like what we we're talking about before, having his face, being this public face, Dr. Fauci, I am sure that there are a lot of kids out there watching TV saying, that's what I want to do. You know, and there's going to be a lot of people. Interested. And that's what we talk about exposure and awareness and things like that. That's what we need to tap into. So, so yeah, the federal government is preparing for this, this brain drain that's going to happen. Right. You know, the, all the baby boomers are going to be retiring and they just have not done a very good job, you know, at recruiting, you know, underneath them millennials. Um it, one of the, the things I have heard, and I was wondering if the commission found people talking about this. You know, the federal government is very sort of rigid in how it does stuff, right? This is you come in, you work, mm-hmm. you apply this way, you know, the, you know, and you're here. You know, that's kind of not this this new the new generational workforce. They may want to come in four years, go out, work somewhere else four years, come back. They move around a little bit more. Um, the federal government's not necessarily good about that, you know, whether they're details or moving from agency to agency to kind of keep things fresh for these younger workers who who want that, um, as well as they want flexibilities in their work schedule. Did you did you hear that as well?
0: We did and we actually have a number of recommendations so when we took a look at not only do we need to fix the hiring process we need to look at how do we recruit and retain the next gen generation of young Americans to serve in the federal government and in other governments and how do we um, what's the long-term solution to this because as you as you have um, stated the the environment around us is changing. And what younger Americans are looking for in terms of flexibility, being able to move in and out, not necessarily looking for a long-term career in federal government, um, we need to be able to address those, particularly as we move forward. And so the the commission looked at how can we do this holistically? And we took a look at not just um, fixing the hiring practices, but making sure that our hiring managers have the skills they need to be able to do the job. How can we reduce sort of the, um, uh, I would say, uh, barriers to entrance in the federal government by getting rid of outdated hiring practices and empowering our agencies to be able to attract and retain more qualified people. So we put together a, a, a pretty comprehensive, if you look at our report, mo- a lot of our recommendations in the report go to, how do we address this uh, public service uh, challenge? And I think we tried to do it in a way that holistically looks at being able to um, bring all the different factors involved, whether it's of, federal hiring preferences, whether it's um, re- um, uh, VREs uh, and and do it in a way that is fair and equitable to uh, people who are coming into government, but also leaving government and being able to come back. We want to be um, able to allow somebody who is sort of that um, high achieving individual who may want to leave federal government after they come in after you know a length of time and say, I want to go to the private sector. Right. This, this is I always uh, unfortunately keep picking on the, the tech people, but it you know it's uh, a, a, an example that we hear a lot. Like we want tech people to leave government because we want them to go to the federal sector uh, private sector because they get to be much more up-to-date on what's going on because technology changes so quickly. Um, And then, But we want them to come back. We want them to bring that expertise that they maybe got or modified and then be able to come back more easily into the federal government so that we can use their skills again. And so we have to change the way that the system is structured, but we have to do it in a way that is uh, fair and equitable and transparent.
3: Right. You know, they've been they've been talking about fixing the hiring process in the federal government since, you know, I first joined them in, in, the, in the early 1990s. Um, so we'll see. Um, we're going to stop here for our third and final break to hear a word from our sponsor. When we return, we'll wrap up today's discussion with Deborah Wada, the vice chair and commissioner Tom Kilgannon from the National Commission on Military, National and Public Service about the Commission's recently released report on how to increase participation in military, national and public service.
1: T-C-F-E-D-S
3: Welcome back to Fed Talk on the Federal News Network. We are entering our last segment of the show, so I want to let each of our guests address any remaining initiatives that they might have. I definitely want to jump into with Tom um, and talk about national service. But before we do that, Deborah, again, we do all this talking on our breaks, um, but I had mentioned to you how important I think um, prioritizing talent management is and going and getting the best and the brightest out there. And you were mentioning um, the problems NASA was even having. And we all know in, this, in the federal space that NASA's usually the best at getting who they want because NASA's NASA. You know they're going back to the moon, they're going to try to get to Mars, they're you know they're re engineering you know a lot of our air travel. Um, so tell us a little bit about what well, you know what NASA was the feedback they gave you.
0: So, I as I mentioned, we had NASA come and testify um, at one of our hearings in terms of human management and. They, they indicated that they too can uh, benefit from changes and up- updating of hiring practices, even within their organization. What I was saying is that um, if an organization like NASA, which we believe is probably one of the best in the federal government, is having challenges, then we need to look at how we can help all agencies. And so being able to, um, whether it's uh, from increasing the, the expertise and training of our, our human resource uh, individuals to actually requiring our uh, hiring managers to be part of the hiring process can help to make the talent management of individuals within the federal government, I think, better. Um, we heard that from um, um, not DDS, but uh, digital service, U.S. digital digital service as well. And so it takes, though, a lot of commitment from management and from leadership to be able to do it. uh, And that's sort of what our challenge is, is to make sure that we give these people the opportunity and the resources to be able to do it.
3: Right. So Tom, I want to quickly ship back to you. I didn't want to leave our I didn't want to leave the third component of, 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 the, of the service out. And I want, I want to have you address in a few minutes that we have left um, what the commission found on what's needed for for what we're characterizing as national service.
2: Sure, Tony, thanks. Uh, you know, national service uh, compared to military service or public service is probably the least uh, well known or understood of the three major streams of service that we looked at. Uh, but basically what it is, it's a, it's a time commitment by young people up to a year to two years uh, where they would get involved in a, in a federal program uh, or state program and, uh, and give a dedicated period of time uh, to help fill a need, whether that be serving in our national parks or in the education by being a teacher or a teacher's aide. Uh, working with the elderly, uh, working in, in uh, opioid addiction programs and trying to um, uh, bring some, some uh, cures to those, uh, those addictions that we see so in so many communities. And, uh, and having more awareness of <clears throat> the variety of ways that people can serve in national service. And that goes back to something Deborah was talking about a little bit earlier with um, the military advertising. One of the recommendations we make is to give the military itself a little bit more flexibility in the advertising they use. A separate recommendation is to have the military and our national service people work together on potentially some joint advertising uh, campaigns. And the reason, Tony, for that is... Uh, Imagine that uh, you, a young person walks into a military recruiter's office and they do not qualify for military service. What's the good and the bad of that? The the upside is we've got motivated people who want to serve their country, but they they just don't qualify for military. So rather than saying to them, thanks, but no thanks, uh, having uh, information available so that... They might find other ways that they can uh, serve in other programs. And so that's one way that uh, that we can do that. And and the the big uh, takeaway there is just trying to get uh, both the military and the national service people and even the public service people working together so that once we have people who are motivated, we can put their talents to work in a variety of capacities.
3: Well, in the in the that's a great example, you know, and or the people who run into my my mom and dad won't let me join the military, but I want to do some kind of service. There's this other service available to you, or right. I'm not willing to sign up for four years and, and go wherever, you know. That th- these are you shorter stints, so so that's a- and
2: we believe uh, and we believe that. A person, a young person's first experience in service to their country, if it's positive, it's going to be uh, a bug that bites them and stays with them for the rest of their lives. So you might get young people who are saying, you know, I don't, military service is not for me, but if they go into the Peace Corps or they serve in national service and have a great experience, well two years later maybe the military will be for them. maybe they want a, a, a bigger challenge right. and, and, and so that's why we want to uh, integrate uh, these streams of service a little bit more so that they work together.
3: So I feel like we've only scratched the surface. I think that's all the time we have for the for the show. Um, the, the website is inspired to, inspired to
2: serve to serve.gov inspire
3: to servegovernor people yeah. can get more information, they can get the whole 250-page report there. Uh, commissioners Deborah Wada and Tom Killigan, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Thanks Thank to all of you for joining us. Please be careful. And we at FedTalk hope you and your family find strength each new day during these challenging times. We again send our deepest gratitude to all those who are on the front lines fighting this pandemic. We're all in this together, and we'll get through this together. Try to have a good weekend.